This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The city of Toronto. And we will be set for a election for June 26. Um, apparently, this is the earliest this could possibly happen. But I'm relieved it's not July. Not for my own personal. I like to take some time off in July. Uh, if it means working through June. Okay, so be it. It's the day after uh, Toronto's Pride Parade. It's also the Monday before Canada Day. I'd prefer this was June 15th. I know there were councillors hoping it would be two weeks earlier into June, but apparently it can't be done any other way. Here's Councillor Josh Matlow on the show from earlier this week talking about the urgency of the process. This is going to be a Herculean task for the clerks. So in other words, elections Mm -hmm. don't just magically happen. There are people, there are human beings who need to organize this and, you know, put the resources in and make sure that it's done both fairly and effectively. Um, so, you know, my my view would be or is I would like this done as quickly as possible. I also recognize that you can't just sort of force it into existence. You need to work with the people who are actually doing the work and get their advice on how long it would practically mm-hmm. take them. Yep, so there you have it. Um, the, the process of, of running and nominating and getting signs out and campaigning, that'll be most of most of May and a little bit of early June. And we don't know about debates and we don't know about uh, decisions that will get made, any of that. Um, there's uh, something happening at Toronto's Pearson Airport that makes it rather obvious that there is no Toronto mayor. Sheba Siddiqui joins, uh, joins us on the show now. And I remember I almost took a photo and sent it to you um, when I got back from Arizona two weeks ago, because I got back on the Monday after the Friday controversy, obviously, and Tory's picture is still there. You see John Tory on the left, Bonnie Crombie on the in the middle, and Patrick Brown, the mayors of Mississauga and Brampton, because that's where Pearson's located, um, in the center and right. So it's Tory, Crombie, Brown, but um, someone at the airport, I assume somebody of some prominence <laughs> and influence, has taken um, taken the liberty to uh, make sure that that John Tory's face isn't seen by new visitors to the city. Yes, you're right about this. So this happened. Obviously, we lost our mayor a week ago today. He's he alive, resigned. I think. He's, just in case yes. you're waking up and you've been away two weeks. <laughs> He's alive. Right? Yes, okay. uh, but very, he resigned. Very alive, according to some reports over the last several months. <laughs> Reinvigorated, maybe, Sheba. But you. So when you were leaving the airport, you didn't you didn't physically see what was covering his face. No, right? but I, I'm okay, looking yes. at the sign right now. It says the mayors of Toronto Pearson's community welcome you. Yes, Tory Toronto, Crombie Mississauga, Brown Brampton, across left and to right. And who knew it was Tory that would be covered up? Out of those three, I didn't think it would be Tory's <laughs> face that would be the one to be covered up. So someone, we weren't sure who it was at first, but it has come out that someone actually went up there. I don't know if you need a ladder. Do you need a? You must need a ladder or it's a chair or something. Reach, right? Yeah, you'd have to be. You'd have to be either six foot eight on tiptoes. I know exactly where it is when you come through, uh, it, like so customs and immigration. Yeah. So it, this is not an easy task to do. This is somebody who is passing by. This is not a GTAA employee. This is what the airport has wanted us to to really emphasize: is that there is. It's not someone that works there. They have taken some kind of like a brown paper bag or a, a strip of craft paper. And they've covered up the entire picture of John Tory. So all you see is um, Bonnie Crombie, Patrick Brown, and then just this, it's like, like almost a cardboard paper. Uh, and it's so awkward looking. It's, it's so awkward. horrible. So yeah. a lot of people were taking pictures of this, posting this online. Uh, and I guess the airport realized they ran some cameras, realized it was one of, one of their employees. Obviously, they released a statement saying that uh, it's, you know, 
because of the change in leadership, they will be taking down the picture and replacing it with who we don't know. But um, very awkward, very funny. I would have burst out laughing personally if I had to seen see a this. paper bag covering the mayor. Yes, the, the, I don't know uh, who got a ladder climbed up there. Was it Barb? I don't know. I don't know. She might. Uh, yeah, she, she might be using uh, Porter exclusively uh, from Billy Bishop uh, for those runs to Florida. To Florida, <laughs> back and forth. But but you know, it's, it's it, it was up there long enough that no matter what the the, the, the administrators of of Pearson Airport knew, they left it up there for a good chunk of days. Yes, before doing there anything. Several pictures. Yeah. So I don't know if it's because they weren't aware. No one told them. But I mean, this was this was going around on the internet. They must have noticed this. So to t- leave it up there for as long as they did. Was this preventative to make sure like nobody drew like like kind of a Three Musketeers type mustache? Oh, uh, that would be even on, better. And eyebrows on him, make him look even like a pirate. Better, even better. I guess so. Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess you'd be in trouble for defacing something at the actual airport that involved politicians. But the brown bag, how many people who don't know anything about Toronto's politics got off a flight or came to Toronto for the first time and they're like, the hell is that on the left? Where's the where's the face? Where where is he or she? In the last two weeks, if you've been flying into Toronto, you sort of have a sense of what's been going on. You might not know the details. You're like, yeah, there's something up with your mayor, right? He did something. I'm still really confused. I'm so I'm confused that it was two weeks ago tonight. I'm very confused about that, how, how that how sort of left changed. us all in. Uh, and, and you bristled yesterday hearing it was going to cost $13 million of the city's <sighs> money, of tax money, yeah. for us to have another uh, mayoral election. Which wasn't even, which is cheaper than what we paid in the fall. I think the fall it was $14.5 million. That's right. For all so, the I ridings mean, and all the wards. So irresponsible. That makes me so angry that he wasted all of our money like this. Shouldn't. Even if he pays ninety percent of the thirteen million, shouldn't she pay ten percent or something? Oh, you're not making him a hundred percent responsible. Uh, no, I don't think anybody among, is among consenting adults. Give her a bill for one hundred thirty thousand dollars. The issue is not what happened. The issue is, is that it was an employee. That's it. As I said, if it, if this was a pickleball partner who was sixty one <laughs> years old in John's neighborhood, who like even, even if they're thirty one. Forty-one. Let's let's. Well, we'll find the right number. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty. Toronto. Coming out today in the theaters. We often sometimes are like, "What? I don't know about this movie coming out." And then it's number one. But we, we're all aware there's a movie because I've seen it actually in the theater trailer a couple of times. It's all over television called Cocaine Bear. It's here's some of the trailer, and then we'll explain the origin of the movie. Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee. There's more of this out there. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. The bear it did cocaine. A bear did cocaine. You're safe. Bears can't climb trees. Of course I can. We have such good luck in nature. <laughs> So not not cocaine. We we thought let's not wreck our Monday our, our Friday afternoons and do in or out on on doing cocaine later on this afternoon. We're adamantly against it. The show is yes. not pro cocaine, though we may uh, cocaine bear may seem like a rental, but it is our in and out today. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so this is really easy. Um, Non-cocaine using bears. Sheba, I love bears. I can watch video of bears 
fighting each other. I can watch video of, of cars driving by bears, black bears, Kodiak bears, grizzly bears. I like bears. I'm in on bears. How I'm do you shocked. feel? I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you are, because you're scared of everything I am scared on of this a lot planet. Of, well, anything in so the water, you were out, I am. Yeah. If I had managed to drag you out on a hike one day in the forest and we came across a bear, you would enjoy that? Oh, my phone would be whipped out so fast. Yeah. I'd be taking <laughs> photos of it. Because I, I don't believe you. But I have a really deceptive thought that I could outrun a bear. <laughs> I don't know why. I think if you're I got the first dead. couple of steps. Haven't you seen The Revenant? With Leo DiCaprio? Of course I have. Because very... you haven't seen half the movies out there. <laughs> and you're missing the key. The key is if you're out on a walk with Sheba and you come across a bear, you don't have to run the bear, you have to run Sheba. And oh, then... no way. I'm the opposite. So oh, I know. I'm... oh, I know oh. this. I know this. But if I'm squealing, and I, will, I, I could squeal louder than Sheba No, we're getting Sheba as close can. as we can. We're I... getting closer as we can, as close as we can to the bear. This is my dream, actually. So I am all in on bears. I'm I love all in bears. on bears. But I'm not talking about in a zoo, in a cage. That breaks my heart. Like out in the wilderness... Outside of a car, this is, I went hiking with my girlfriends in Banff last June, and all, I told them, all I want to do on this trip is just see a bear out in the, like, right near us. I'd love it if it chased us. I don't know what would happen. Thank you. Cars. Exactly. <laughs> I actually think I could get motivated. I know that happens a lot in, in Cocaine Bear, for, based on the trailer, is people are climbing trees to avoid the bear. You want to get, you want to see me climb a tree? That's the only circumstance <laughs> I would climb a tree is to save my own existence from, uh, from a bear. And then you find Gord, out that you can't. Gord, are you in or out on bears? <laughs> um, based on the way you're talking about seeing bears in nature, I'd be out. Just leave them be. Stay far away from a bear. I think they look like they, you know, like getting a nice sloppy kiss from one would be amazing. You know, um, I love videos of, of bears that crash, in, like swim in people's backyards and somehow they yeah. can open a patio yeah. door that's open and they cool. walk. Out. Like, I, like I can go down a rabbit hole of bear videos like nobody's Me too. business. We yeah. should do that next time we hang out. I think so. Just watch bear videos. Yes. Like they'll get in like a like one of those baby kids pools in the backyard. Just be careful when you're searching for bear videos. Um I I I think <laughs> Yeah, well you spell if you spell it B A R E, you just got to be not, careful. I'm That's not all. typing That's all in B A R E videos here at work. I'm not doing that. Gord um, learned the hard way at work. That's, that's right. right. Yeah, literally. <laughs> this is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Marcus Kolga, um, our friend from disinfowatch.org, uh, joins us. And it's the anniversary of the Russia-Ukraine conflict beginning. Um, I'd ask you, Marcus, I, I'm curious to know whether you'd say there's elements of things you're surprised by or not surprised by 365 days into this conflict. So I'm I'm not surprised, uh, quite frankly, that the that the Ukrainian uh, people and forces have um, held out so long um, and have been able to defend their country. Uh, you know, I sort of I predicted this right from the from the get go. I was keeping an eye on how they were preparing for what they knew was coming. Um, you know, and, and let's not forget that Russia was preparing that invasion that started a year ago. Already in uh, in August of uh, of 2022, there was this massive buildup that was happening, and you know I think a lot of analysts in the West sort of shrugged it off and said, "Oh, it's just you know Vladimir Putin uh, flexing his muscles." But um, you know it was a little bit different. Uh, those of us who know Vladimir Putin, uh, we saw sort of these these field hospitals that were being pulled out to the front. Um, you know, uh, various different other um, support units and um, you know, a lot of us were concerned, especially after what ha- had happened in in Belarus with the elections uh, earlier, and uh, 
And so I think the Ukrainian government was also seeing sort of the writing in the wall uh, by, by the fall and started preparing. And uh, those pre preparations were really, um, they, were, they were ongoing for quite some time. And so I, you know, again, after the, right after the invasion, um, you know, the way that Zelensky stood up um, and appeared on camera uh, the, next, the next evening after there were sort of rumors flying around that he had um, fled the country, the fact that he was there, the fact that, um, you know, the, the Ukrainians were really, I mean, they were able to repel those initial attacks uh, from the north that came in from uh, in, in through Belarus, the ones that were focused on Kharkiv and, and Kiev. And so I'm not surprised that uh, they've been able to hold out this long. And I, I predict, quite frankly, that uh, they're going to go on the counteroffensive uh, once uh, things warm up a little bit more, once those... Mm those weapons start uh, arriving and I, and I think they're going to be able, be able to push the, uh, the Russians back perhaps by next fall, maybe even, maybe even the summer beyond that, uh, that border that they, the Russians violated a year ago. I think you hit on it. The, the images of Zelensky and the images of normal people picking up arms. Um, I, I think had people gone through, had, had we gone through in our neighborhoods, what, um, what Ukraine had witnessed right on their doorstep and obviously uh, Crimea, uh, the Donbass region. I think we'd surprise ourselves with how many people would say, yeah. "Honey, take the kids, get them out of here, and I'm going. I'm a healthy, able-bodied human person, and I'm going to pick up arms and and defend our home and our neighborhood." I think we'd surprise ourselves if we, if it came right to our doorstep how we'd react. Yeah, I think you you sort of hit it on the head there. I mean, it's this it's this existential threat, right? It's not. Something for us, it's the, the war right now is remote. It's it's far away. There's an ocean. There's you know Europe is in between us. Um, for these people, it's it's their homes. It's literally their families. Um, and and once the threat is that close to you and it's that imminent, um, and you can feel it, I think that you you know instinct sort of survival instinct kicks in. And like you mm -hmm. said, you know you you tell the the family to go get you know go go west, find a, a, a safe place. I'm going to stay here and I'm, I'm going to defend the, our home and in our, in our country. That's, I think it's just the running on instinct. And, uh, and so far, you know, it's worked, clearly worked for, for the Ukrainians uh, from the top down, you know, from the president all the way down to just, you know, regular Ukrainians. Um, and it's, and it's really quite frankly, it's just inspiring uh, to, to watch them, uh, you know, despite, you know, being this, this, this overwhelmingly much larger, um, army that that is threatening them. They're, they're still able to uh, to to push them back. I think we were impacted as well because I think we'd say from last last February in 22, six months earlier in the summer, we saw a um, you know uh, Afghanistan vacated once the uh, once um, U.S. forces and American forces left, and that's what we generally see is we'll see leaders realize. I don't want any of this. I'm going to I'm going to get a helicopter out of here. Yeah. I'm going to take what I can with my belongings and family and I'm gone. And Zelensky didn't do that. And we saw that. Yeah, I know you followed it as as I did a lot. Um, What was happening in Central America in the 80s and whether or not they were backed by the Soviets, whether or not they were backed by Reagan and, and the U.S. When trouble came and revolution came, they either died or or they did their best to get out of there. And we didn't see that with Zelensky in Ukraine this this time for once. Yeah, you're you're right, and it, actually, you know, if we think back on this this specific conflict, and let's not forget that all of this actually started in 2014. So nine years mm -hmm. ago is when this actual conflict 
began when the, those little green men appeared in uh, in Crimea, and uh, and uh, you know Vladimir Putin, of course, lied about that, and it turns out they were Russian soldiers. Um, but just before that, of course, there was the the Maidan revolution in Kiev, where. Um, you know, the Ukrainian people stood up and said, enough is enough of this, um, you know, of these presidents who are, are corrupt and, and are trying to drag us back towards Russia. We want a European future. And they stood up and, um, and rebelled. And uh, at that time, it's the same thing happened. You know, the, the, the president at the time, Yanukovych, he, uh, he got in a helicopter and, and, and fled to Moscow. So I think you know, there was probably this expectation that um, when uh, when things got tough, that there, that the U- Ukraine's leaders would leave. But you know, there was Zelensky. You know, there's that famous shot of him uh, on you know taking on his iPhone in the middle of the night in Kiev with his cabinet behind him, and basically saying, you know, get look at who's here. I'm here. My cabinet is here. Ukraine society is here. We're we're here and we're standing up. And that was the next night. And, um, you know, that's I think that set the tone for the for the next 12 months. And, uh, you know, here we are. Marcus Kolga is kind enough to join us on Toronto today. Uh, he created disinfowatch.org, uh, joining us on 640 Toronto. And and we've seen look, we've seen governments um, flex muscles before. I won't lie when when I see a news story um, from anywhere about North Korea fi- firing weapons off. Uh, I, I roll my eyes a little bit, but I don't live in South Korea and I don't live in Taiwan. I don't live in, <laughs> you know, Indonesia. I'm, I'm not in the Far East. So may, that's probably more worrying for their neighbors. But we do see this a fair bit. The problem is Russia and the prior Soviet Union, um, whether they they're in or out, whether they're deemed brutal dictators or not, they are men of action. Like they, there isn't a lot of uh, talk without walk when it comes to um, Soviet and Russian history. And, yeah. and getting involved in armed conflict. So so I think, yeah, we we maybe should have been a lot more aware last August and, and last January, February, what was about to take place. Well, we I think we should have been aware in 2008. You know, that was the first, you know, real warning sign when, when Vladimir Putin in, invaded Georgia. And, you know, we didn't really get involved there because, you know, we were afraid of, of Vladimir Putin escalating the situation. We didn't want to get involved. Um, it happened again in 2014, as I mentioned earlier. You know, those little green men appeared in Crimea. Um, they, the Russian forces entered uh, the Donbass region. Let's not forget, they, um, Russian, a Russian-supplied uh, surface-to-air missile took down a, uh, a commercial airliner, a Malaysian airliner, MH17, uh, famously, uh, back in, in, uh, 20, uh, in the summer of 2014. So, you know, we've... we've, we've We've seen that he takes advantage uh, of our um, sort of reluctance to to stand up to him, um, and I think that sort of entered into his his calculations uh, last February. I mean, I think he assumed that we would just roll over and and let him do what he's always done. Um, you know, thankfully again, the the Ukrainians were able to stand up to him, and I think one of the the sort of most things that has shocked me the most is the fact that uh, the West has remained unified this long. The fact that we are sending uh, weapons to help the Ukrainians, uh, that's, um, that's, uh, that's been a, a really pleasant surprise because I think you, you brought up Afghanistan uh, yeah. the, the summer before, you know, I think that a lot of us were watching that and we're thinking, well, this is it, you know, like, you know, the West is, is, is falling apart. Um, you know, I, I felt sort of like, you know, NATO is potentially doomed at that point because we just weren't able to, to cooperate and work together. But, 
you know, I look at the difference this this uh, this year has made. I think if there's a silver lining in all of this, um, I think that it's it's we've in the West have woken up to this this threat, the threat of of, of authoritarians around the world, not just Russia, but I think China, the threat of China as well. Um, and I think we're you know ultimately better off for it. Now you bring up you know the question of of, of potential you know nuclear war, you know uh, North Korea shooting off these these ballistic missiles. You know Putin is of course engaging in this sort of rhetoric as well, and he always has. And it's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why we've been, we've been reluctant to get involved, but he's still doing that. And um, you know I think that we need to be careful that we we don't buy into it because uh, it's it's a bluff. I don't think that he will um, engage in any sort of uh, serious nuclear uh, warfare. It, you know, at w- worst case scenario, he may test one of these missiles. He may, he may fire one at Ukraine. Um, maybe even you know tomorrow, you know today or, or tomorrow. But um, but uh, you know, I think we need to uh, take that for what it is and and just continue down the path that we're going. Because I think if we continue along this path, we will stop him. And I think the Western world and, and the democratic world will be much safer for it. We talked about sort of the origins and where we've gone with Russia in Ukraine for the last 365 days. I wanted to ask him if there's room for diplomacy here. Can this war be resolved at the negotiating table? Yeah, of course. I mean, all wars end that way. So and this one will end that way as well. But what we're doing right now is making sure that when that moment does arrive, that Ukraine is able to uh, negotiate for itself and on its own terms how that war is going to end. Um, because if we start, you know, forcing Ukraine to the table right now, I mean, the thing, same thing is going to happen as, as happened the last time around um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in 2015, 2016, you know, and, and, and Vladimir Putin didn't respect any of those uh, um, the outcome of, of those negotiations. Um, so I think it's just really important that uh, that Ukraine um, is is uh, that it's Ukraine who says now we are re- ready to negotiate. Um, and once Ukraine's ready to negotiate, we should you know the West needs to back that up. We're we're not there yet. Um, and I think that the, with these these new weapons that are coming in to Ukraine every single day. Um, it is um, it, Ukraine will have the upper hand in the coming months, and certainly by the summer, and for sure by the fall. And I think that those negotiations, Vladimir Putin is going to be um, itching for them. Uh, I would say by probably by June or July, uh, August at the latest. Is the out? I've thought this before, and you might tell me I'm wrong. Is that Zelensky will? I, I agree. There needs to be a push. There needs to be a, a strong uh, exertion um, back in, in Russia's direction, but. Until some elements of of the G7 countries, until some elements of the Western world tell Zelensky, we you know we're going to stop, you know, and maybe that maybe that's a year from now, maybe that's eighteen months from now, even until they tell Zelensky we're going to stop, you know, giving you what you want. Maybe there isn't a real impetus for Zelensky to get as much to the negotiating table. Or would you say exactly what you just told me? They're not ready yet. They're they're, they're not. They're, Russia's not a, a, the worn down boxer in the ring that says no mas no mas. They're not there yet. A year in. Well, look, they're they're getting close. You know, the fact that you've got uh, Evgeny Prigozhin who's coming out and saying that um, no one is sending him any am- ammunition. I mean, we've we've been hearing this all along. We know that Russia is running out of tanks. They they were already mm-hmm. several months ago using. Uh, they were um, cannibalizing, you know, household appliances for for parts to to fix some of their their weaponry. They're running out of ammo. Um, look, we're running out of ammo to a certain degree as well. Um, and so, you know, there's only so long that we can keep supplying them. If if Vladimir Putin really is putting 
uh, you know, another three, 400,000 troops into the field, that's, that's a lot of bullets. Um, and so, uh, you know, are, do we even have that many bullets left to give Ukraine? I think so. You know, I think that, um, you know, if we give it another year, uh, Vladimir Putin will be completely worn down. We know that uh, his economy is, is teetering at this point. Um, the one big concern, I think, in all of this is China. Um, yeah. And we need to be very clear uh, with China that if they start supplying any sort of weapons to uh, to Russia, then the sanctions are going to be applied on them. And it is going to be painful. And this is something that China is very, very concerned about. And so we just need to be very clear. And if China remains in its current position uh, where it's not sending any sort of weapons to Russia, I think that, um, you know, if we continue down the road that we are going, if we continue supplying those weapons, um, you know, if we can, even if uh, it would be, Ukraine would be even better off if uh, if Canada sent along some of our old uh, CF-18s that we are no longer going to be using. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to be in a very strong position. And I don't think that we're they're going to be looking for too much support from us again uh, a year from now. Marcus Kolg is our guest from disinfowatch.org. Um, two quick questions to wrap on. One, um, when when coverage started to wane a little bit, in I'd say March or April, did you think support would start to wane a little bit? People have a lot on their plate, whether it's, you know, putting groceries in, into their car, whether it's their own jobs, whether it's housing prices. We've had a provincial election here. We were we were um, trying to wrestle away um, from COVID restrictions a year ago at this time. So people had a lot to absorb and 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 by also the television networks and they, they just couldn't, that, that was not sustainable to keep journalists in Ukraine for five, six, seven weeks on end without switching them out and then sending them back. W when the coverage started to wane a little bit, you know how it goes. If something's not right in front of people's faces, they forget about yeah. it. Did you think support would wane as well? Yeah, I mean, that's always a concern. And I, and I speak to Ukrainian friends and some of their community leaders here in Canada. And, and that is always, it's a constant concern that uh, attention will will go elsewhere because there is so much else going on in the world. Uh, and then when we forget Ukraine, that, su that support will dry up. Um, but I think that the, the, the leaders in the Western world, including right here in Canada, um, they recognize the, that um, we cannot let up on this. Um, and they recognize the threat that Vladimir Putin poses to the entire democratic world. Mm -hmm. um, they realize that if we let Vladimir Putin win here, China is watching. And, and Taiwan is in a very precarious situation. Uh, Taiwan could be next. Um, so it's really, I mean, this is, a, uh, you know, this is the struggle, uh, the, the challenge of our generation right now. Um, we need to win this thing. We need to make sure that, that Putin is defeated because it's our, all of our security that's at stake right now. And I think that, um, you know, thankfully, Joe Biden is leading the democratic world. But I think Canada is doing a great job um, as well amongst our amongst our allies. And they recognize this. And, uh, and thankfully, I don't I don't think they're going to let up at any time. Uh, I don't think that they're going to let uh, the these, you know, domestic grumblings that are going on that are saying, oh, maybe we're, we're giving them too much. I think they're going to ignore it. I think they're going to remain focused until the, uh, the Ukrainians are are able to get this job done for us um, in in the uh, in the next year. Marcus, there's nobody I'd rather have these conversations with. You're a fountain of uh, of information and opinion. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much for having me on. Marcus Kolga, disinfowatch.org. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'm excited to have our next guest on. Um, now, these are really important issues. I'm going to give you four headlines. 
um, from today's like in, in the last week. Pharmacy robbery in St. Catharines under investigation by detectives. Police urge vigilance as 10 people, including six youths, arrested in connection with GTA armed pharmacy robbery spree and Oakville pharmacy robbery police arrest for youth. Um, these are happening constantly. People are breaking into pharmacies, robbing them, and after hours and during hours, looking for cash, looking for drugs. More so than, uh, I get it's good, I suppose, we're arresting them, but it speaks to how often this is happening. So we thought, let's reach out. We always enjoy a conversation with Kiro Massey, who's the owner of Lawler Pharmacy, and he's joining us now. It's great to have you on our program. Thanks again for making the time. Great to be back, Greg. Thanks so for having me. When I list all those things, how I, your store has not been robbed, has been robbed. How present is this on your mind as the owner of a pharmacy? So we have one store that has been robbed last November. They broke in through the wall of the unit next door. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, good folks at ADT Alarm Systems decided to uh, fire the alarm four hours after the robbery uh, took place. Still not taking responsibility for that, so shout out to them. Uh, police are yet to arrest anybody in that event. They caused about $40,000 worth of damage because they couldn't get into the safe. Uh, and uh, they left, and they left all kinds of DNA and evidence in the location, and we're yet to hear anything as far as arrests. But it's something that's extremely common. There isn't a friend uh, or a colleague that I know that hasn't been directly affected by a robbery in the last two years. It feels like we're at a bit of a peak for these numbers right now. I mean, the... the, the it the, has actually quadrupled. I, I wondered about that, even from last fall, last summer, probably. So that's no, what I mean, in the last couple period, months. If you're talking like from just, like if you're comparing apples to apples, uh, you it, it has about about quadrupled from like if we're talking up to February, uh, mid-February of last year, this year we've quadrupled the number of robberies. And it's, it's, it's kind of sad that, you know, you have these gangs that are taking advantage of 14, 15 year old kids from marginalized communities uh, to carry out these, these robberies. And, we go and we arrest 10 people. Look how many of them are 14, 15 year olds. And I'm not stupid. You're not stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, let's face it. Like these are just the, the, the enforcers. They're not even the tip of the iceberg on this. So we're kidding ourselves. Like you're like, how is a 14 or 15 year old going to have access to a vehicle, have access to a weapon, show up at a pharmacy, rob all these narcotics and then be able to sell them and know their street value afterwards, there are kingpins at the top. And it, it, it's kind of strange. And I would like some questions answered as far as, are you going after the head of the serpent here? Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's kind of like bizarre how, you know, they say like, or the police say that they're going after these people. They're taking this seriously on the ground level. We haven't seen much. And it, it kind of, I, I feel that it's closely linked with the car robberies and the carjackings that are happening. And you could look into this yourself. Carjackings, a lot of times, there are air tags in these cars, and I'm sure your listeners will agree. And when they report to the police, the police don't go and engage. They don't go after the, the car robberies, even though they know where the cars are. What do you think the theory is behind not doing that? I 
honestly that you ask the chief of police for this one because yeah. I can get you actual names of people that this happened with. I have one friend that followed his vehicle to two different locations over two nights, reported it to two different police departments, and in both cases they told him to go home. So this is probably, I mean, again, you bring up the carjackings, the, the robberies of pharmacies. This is probably right out of a movie involving a, a youth gang where the 21-year-old says to a 14 or 15-year-old, you're doing the robbery because if you get caught, it's a totally different set of circumstances when it comes to a, a trial or sentencing than if uh, you and I know 38-year-olds aren't robbing pharmacies. 45-year-olds aren't robbing pharmacies. These are all kids or all kids just past their teen years. And it, just so you know, from our perspective as pharmacists, it's terrifying when a 14 or a 15 year old walks into the pharmacy with a gun. Because back in the day, in, in the, the OxyContin days, when a 40 year old or a 50 year old will come in and rob a pharmacy, these guys don't even show the gun because they understand the consequences of their actions. They're trying to minimize the charges should they get caught. A 15 or a 16 year old naturally, just, you know, biologically, is not aware of consequences and so mm. you've had a situation not too far from my pharmacy where a rexall pharmacist was shot he ended up in icu i don't know if he's still alive you've had situation videos i've seen where the pharmacist after he completely cooperated they still beat him with the gun so you you they don't quite understand the consequences of their actions they're a bit trigger happy and you don't know what they're going to do next, right? Mm. So it's extremely alarming in comparison to past robberies. And this is not being taken seriously, I feel, by police. And if it's not being taken seriously, then why not, as far as the criminals are concerned? Why wouldn't you go and rob a car if you know there's no punity? Why wouldn't you go and rob a pharmacy if you know no one is really going to go after you? And should they, the law is really not you know, designed to go after. Yeah, we're chatting with uh, pharmacist uh, Kiro Massey, who's joining joining us. Um, this story is from Brooklyn. A uh, 26 year old man sentenced to in Brooklyn, sentenced to 125 months in prison, 10 and a half years for stabbing pharmacy employee and attempted robbery. That's 10 and a half years for a 26 year old. This is where we're at, isn't it? And and there's I mentioned before the break here, there's so many issues with um, sentencing and and our, our, you know, in essence, protecting younger people who do commit violent crimes, as you call it, getting to the head of the serpent here. There are so many issues and, and pharmacies are being obviously robbed at a higher rate than clothing stores or electronic stores. It's not even close. So look, that's very true, and that's why now you have pharmacies that are buzzing in patient by patient or customer by customer mm -hmm. through their doors because they're terrified, and that's the world that we, we you know, we've come to. So very slowly, you're going to have the whole idea of walking into the pharmacy be a thing of the past, and this is something that's going to have an impact on just the overall level of care that Ontarians are going to be receiving. And that's that's where things are moving. We're trying to mitigate things with things like time lock safes. These have been proven to decrease the number of robberies. But then you get the other side of the coin where you're dealing with a 14 or a 15 year old. They're not going to really think of the consequences when they walk into the pharmacy and there's a time delay safe for five minutes. 
they may just stand there and wait around with a pharmacist with a gun to their head. And pharmacists aren't quite happy about that idea, you know, where they're going to be waiting there with an armed person for five minutes waiting for the time lock safe to go off. But I'm hoping it decreases the number of robberies. Uh, there's pharmacies that are carrying way less narcotics than they typically are. I've had to turn away away patients yeah. because I didn't have the the narcotic that the child needed post surgery because I'm carrying very minimal narcotics in the pharmacy. But it's gonna affect care eventually, and penalties aren't enough. Like I don't think that we should just be you know, deterring people through penalty, we know that's not going to really work again with a 15 or 16-year-old who, in my opinion, are victims in of themselves. Mentorship programs need to be more widely supported in this province, and that's going to be, I guess, a long-term plan, but it's definitely necessary for these kids so that they don't fall victim to this as well. I think you're right. I, I think that's the one thing I looked at the Toronto, you know, the city of Toronto budget and it, it's lacking. And it's not to say there isn't a place for law enforcement. There isn't a place for making people feel secure. You know, and I know if you walk into somewhere with an armed security guard in the States or in Europe or wherever, and you're a law abiding citizen, you're thinking, well, that person's going to deter any violent crime from breaking out. But it's it's a big ask. Not every pharmacy can have an armed security presence 18 hours a day and someone wouldn't even want it. Well, I, I, I definitely don't want it. I don't know if many of my patients that would be happy or feel safe walking into my pharmacy, you know, the chipper happy old place. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there's someone out like waiting at the front with a gun. That's not going to make them feel super safe. They're going to feel like this is a danger zone. To a certain degree but so definitely law enforcement has its place and and it shouldn't just be like the movies you know guns going off etc it has to be a there has to be some form of investigation or proper investigative work where they're looking at this network in an intelligent fashion i'm not, I'm not going to tell them how to do their job but they they're the 14 and 15 year old these are not your problem Okay, mm-hmm. let's not kid ourselves. The the guy that robbed or carjacked the car, he is not he is part of the problem, but he is not the one that is going down to the auto shop, cutting up the car, yeah. putting it in a container, sending it off to I don't know, Malta or wherever they're sending them now. Okay? So these are networks. It's not a one person job. And I think they're interlinked. What are the drugs that they're looking for? What what are the drugs that are the most sought after? It's going to be opioids, so things that are that are similar to morphine, Percocet, is very yeah. common. If they could get their hands on fentanyl, uh, great uh, oxycodone, CR. But again, like pharmacies are now carrying less and less of this because, like in my pharmacy, for example, if if you're to rob that pharmacy, you're going to have a street value of about. I don't know, 250 bucks. It's not worth your time, but that's what it's come down to. And I'm ordering case by case mm-hmm. if so, if a prescription comes in and and that's what it's coming down to. But that's what they're going after. It has a high street value. Uh, I personally am in favor of having safe supply for people who are addicted to opioids because at the end of the day, 
if you do this, you basically eliminate uh, the need for for drug dealers altogether. Uh, I mean, like you're not like these people are addicted anyways, and so having a safe supply is is better for society. It's I believe they're they're trying it out in different communities across Canada right now, and hopefully we get some good feedback on that and maybe implement it here. But that's a different can of worms, and it's a long term plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Again, I, I think it's like I, I see police statements telling pharmacists to be vigilant. And I'm thinking that doesn't do much for, for you men and women. It does. It does have, we already are vigilant and, and we're panicked and we're paranoid and we're quite and we, we have to treat it like we're, you know, we are um, we're a bank without any of the bells and whistles of a bank security. Since March of 2020, I, I think that if somebody like takes a look at what happened to pharmacists since March of 2020 and you go tell them to be vigilant, I'll go tell them to go fish. Okay. Because we've been on high alert. The amount of mental health issues and anxiety Mm. that pharmacists are experiencing, like since this pandemic started is through the roof. I I got, I got a listener telling me that, that he, he knows it, it'd be Oxycontin fentanyl. You could sell them for $60 a pill in some areas. So, So, Depending on the strength. Yeah, yeah it's a it's a it's, it's an absolute get rich scheme. Pills typically they'll get patches and patches. patches are way more expensive than that. Yeah, but but I think I think your point's well made. We got older people, but older I mean like twenty one to twenty five organizing the crimes, and we've got fifteen, sixteen year olds no, committing even older them. than that. Even older than that. Yeah, twenty five year olds. These are the middle guys. You have people at the very top that are controlling the strings on this, mm. and it. I would like to see some action taken against them at some point. I would, I would like to know or at least get the indication that the cops are looking into, you know, the, the heads of these networks because it's not the 15-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's stunning the numbers. Let's keep talking about it, and I appreciate your frankness and uh, and your trust, and thanks for coming on. Have a good weekend. Thank you, Greg. Have a good one. Kiro Massey, our guest from Lawler Pharmacy. In 2022, there were 124 pharmacy robberies in Toronto so far this year. And this was as of a week ago. There were 45. Like, so that's a pace. We're talking a pace of closer to 300 pharmacy robberies for the year. There were 124 last year. That's too many. 300 this year. So clearly there's an element of success. I don't mean to promote it. I'm trying to. That conversation is too discouraging. 